a woman walking down the street is a perfectly normal sight to see. If you looked outside and you saw someone walking up the road, you probably wouldn't think anything of it. But what if the woman wasn't just walking down the road? What if she was walking on the side of a highway? It still might not seem that strange, but what if the woman wasn't just walking? What if she was hunched over and stumbling? And what if while she did all of that, it became clear that she was cradling something red? My name is Brianne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we explore true crime cases that occur out in nature. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the 1961 disappearance of Joan Risch, a woman who was last spotted stumbling along Route 2A and left behind a home that was covered in blood. I would like to formally welcome you all to the first longer episode of Among the Dirt and Trees. Though this victim didn't necessarily disappear into a forest in the way that they usually do, Joan Rich's case involved several sightings of a woman stumbling and possibly bloody venturing out into land that was in the middle of being developed. And the home where the majority of evidence was found was actually purchased by the National Park Service to make way for the Minuteman National Historical Park to commemorate the Revolutionary War. So, I'm going to give myself this one. Some people even believe that she might be buried somewhere beneath the local road, but before we can get into all of that, we need to discuss the rest of the story. It was October 24th, 1961, when Joan first went missing. Up until that point, she was having a perfectly average day. She ran errands and handled some shopping. She played with her children and put her youngest son down for a nap. She chatted with neighbors and smiled at everyone around her, including the men who delivered her milk and the delivery driver who stopped by to pick up her husband Martin's dry cleaning. This all seemed very standard for her. At some point, she collected her son from the neighbors, a woman named Barbara, and watched as the kids played. But then, something strange happened. Joan walked her two oldest children back to Barbara's house, promising to return shortly after. That wasn't the strange part. The strange part was when she was seen a short while later walking up the street in a trench coat. Joan appeared to be carrying something red, but the neighbor wasn't sure what it was. They thought nothing of it until the children went to go home, and her daughter Lillian returned to Barbara's and said something odd. Lillian told the neighbor the following words. Mommy 
is gone. And the kitchen is covered with red paint. So, that obviously wasn't a good thing. Lillian was a sweet girl and didn't seem to know what was happening. She simply told the neighbor that her little brother, the young child who was napping, was now crying because he needed a diaper change. Understandably alarmed and confused, Barbara went to see what Lillian was talking about, and she saw just enough to confirm that something truly terrible happened in that home. Barbara immediately called the police, and then the investigation into one of the most bizarre disappearances that I have ever heard of would begin. Police arrived on the scene, and they went straight into the home. The scene inside would paint a grisly image, all while absolutely baffling police because of its strangeness. And I'm going to be honest with you. I found myself wondering if there was any chance that this story inspired the book Gone Girl. Spoilers coming in hot. I'm sorry for this one. I looked it up, and while it seems I'm certainly not alone in thinking this, I couldn't find anything that would confirm it. But... Trust me when I say that this case is absolutely wild. The inside of the home was basically a museum of horrors. There was blood everywhere. It was in the kitchen. It was on the walls. It was all over clothes and towels. It was in the bedroom. It was even on the driveway in her car. Everywhere police looked, there was just more and more blood. There was so much blood that the officer at the house immediately called for backup, recognizing that it was going to be a team effort to solve this case. While he waited, he made his way through the home, assuming that he would find Joan somewhere in the house, but she wasn't there. The house was quite literally painted red, but that wasn't the only concerning detail about the space. There were some indications of a struggle, or something like one. The phone was torn from the wall and tossed into the trash. A table was flipped over, and the blood itself told a story. There were smears and smudges, covering all of these different surfaces, and one area where it looked like someone had collapsed on the floor in it. In some ways, it looked like someone had been brutally attacked, but there was a strangeness to it. Police actually feared that she might have injured herself or attempted to commit suicide, but none of it really made any sense. How could something this terrible happen in such a short span of time, in the middle of the day? And what actually happened? At this point, police are very interested in what might have happened, and 
they are even more interested in finding the missing woman. Understandably, they began by hunting down her husband. And that was kind of strange, too. Police learned that Martin was off in New York on a business trip. A point of concern for investigators. But they called him to tell him of the emergency, and he quickly ran back to the family home. Upon arrival, he also noticed that something wasn't right. Certain things in the home weren't where they were supposed to be. The trash can was pulled out from its usual spot beneath the sink. The phone book was out and looked like it was turned to the page for emergency numbers. And there was a collection of finished beer bottles that Martin couldn't identify. Even worse, Joan's purse was sitting in plain sight with her usual items and money inside. The normally tidy home was now a messy wreck, but there wasn't the slightest hint of where Joan might have gone. So, police did two things. They studied the trail of blood, and they began talking to the neighbors. The blood in the home was a mystery in and of itself. Though it basically covered every room of the house, it was surprisingly confusing. Misleading, even. The kitchen almost looked as if someone tried to wipe parts of the blood up, and... While there were fingerprints, they were all too messy to use. Clothing littered the kitchen, giving the appearance that someone tried to use it to mop up the mess, but who would have tried to clean up this much blood? Was it Joan, or was it a killer? Something that stuck out to investigators was the uncanny neatness of the mess. There was blood splattered and sprayed in every direction, but in the entire home, there wasn't a single bloody footprint. In fact, police said that the blood inside the home looked a lot more like an injury, as if Joan had hurt herself and tried to clean up the mess, but it just didn't make any sense. If she was injured, wouldn't she have gone for help if she left? Her absence implies abduction, just because nothing else really makes sense, but everything looked odd, and things would only get worse the more that they found out. After questioning the neighbors and people in the surrounding area, police received a disturbing number of reports regarding a woman stumbling up Route 2A West and Route 128. These reports all had fairly close timestamps, and they all seemed to share the feeling of a ghostly apparition. Despite her disheveled appearance, no one stopped by to help, and these sightings, if they are true sightings, seem to be the last record of Joan that exists. But no one can really explain how she would have ended up there. Pairing this with the sightings of unusual cars in the area the theories began to go wild. Was Joan injured and disoriented from an accident in the home? Or was she attacked and left for dead? 
Obviously, police were not about to drop the case while Joan was still missing. Especially not with how weird everything was. So they began to search more. But their most concerning breakthrough would actually be handed to them by a reporter and a group of volunteers. When the news first broke, it isn't exactly surprising that everyone wanted to be the first one with the story. This led a local reporter on a search to learn what she could about Joan herself, and her search led her to the local library. Joan worked in publishing as a secretary and eventually as an editorial assistant. Joan had a known passion for books. With a little asking around, the reporter learned that Joan had recently checked out a book covering the disappearance of Brigham Young's wife. His 27th wife, that is. Now, we're all true crime fans here, and most of us wouldn't think twice about a small detail like that. But more questions led to more answers. And in the end, a collection of volunteers determined that Joan had borrowed at least 25 books. And the majority of them covered murders and missing persons cases. One book caught their eye in particular. It was called Into Thin Air, and it included a crime scene that was eerily similar to the scene in Joan's kitchen. Reading through all of this, I'm going to admit that I was a little giddy. This entire case is so weird. And then we learn that either Joan turned out to be one of the stories that she liked to read, or that something even crazier happened. Like, maybe Joan might have been reading those books for a reason, and that that reason was to stage her own murder. If you've read it or seen the movie, I'm sure by now you can see why I would compare this case to Gone Girl. But these books were not the only damning part of Joan's story. Her parents actually died following a mysterious fire in the home. Remember all of that blood that police found? Well, subsequent research would show something fairly interesting there, too. It was determined to be human blood, and it did seem to match Joan's blood type. But experts would reveal that there was something odd about it. Despite the appearance of blood all over the home, when it came down to it, the total amount of blood really wasn't that significant. Research estimated that the blood found at the scene was roughly half a pint in total. And that kind of makes all the theories that something really bad happened to Joan seem a little less likely. Losing half a pint of blood is far from significant enough to kill you. And it actually doesn't even imply that Joan was really all that hurt at all. It almost gave the appearance 
that someone used a small amount of blood and spread it out as much as they could in order to make the crime scene look worse than it actually was. If Joan did injure herself, she likely didn't lose enough blood to be all that delirious. And if someone attacked her, it meant that the act of violence either wasn't as severe as the spread of blood would imply, or they managed to remove her from the home very quickly before she could get more blood everywhere else. Basically, this seemed like a very showy display rather than a fully authentic one, and that possibility certainly had police scratching their heads. On the surface, Joan seemed to be really content with her life, so why would she stage an elaborate ordeal to leave it all behind? Given the strange nature of this case, the world is full of wild and strangely plausible theories. At the time where she was last spotted, Route 28 was under new development. There were known pits in the area, pits that someone could just fall right into. If your first thought was of the Sullivan Street Pit in Parks and Rec, you were not alone. But some people believe that Joan was likely injured and disoriented and somehow ended up stumbling into one of these pits. I didn't see anything suggesting that there was more blood found along the way, so I don't know how this ties in with the information that she likely didn't lose much blood at all. But if she did fall into one of those pits, it's possible that she was buried by accident in one of them, which means she might be stuck somewhere beneath the road itself. So if you drive down Route 128 and see a ghostly apparition at night, maybe be careful. Of course, if the sightings were Joan, maybe someone should have stopped and helped her out. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life, but seems like a pretty tough call to make now. Another interesting theory regarding her disappearance actually comes from her own husband. Martin spent his entire life convinced that Joan was alive and that she might return someday. He actually believed this so wholly that he refused to ever have her considered legally dead. In Martin's mind, Joan must have experienced some kind of mental episode. He suggested that she might have been out there stumbling around with amnesia or that she had some kind of psych break. While it's certainly possible... I don't know how I feel about this particular theory. It always baffled me how Joan could leave her baby alone in the house if she did leave by herself. And maybe the idea that she did have some kind of psychotic episode would explain that. Despite this theory, there isn't any real evidence that it's all that likely. The onset would have come literally out of nowhere without warning. And while it can happen... It just feels like a kind of sad and hopeful theory from a man who just wants his wife back home. I 
Obviously, there is a theory that Joan was attacked and abducted, and there is some merit to this. There were strange cars and possible indicators of a struggle. But if someone managed to pull off a crime like this in broad daylight in the middle of a suburban neighborhood, it would be pretty wild. I won't say any names, but I will say that one of my friends lives in a nice little neighborhood and she definitely has a habit of watching her neighbors when they do something weird outside. So, I find it hard to believe that someone wouldn't have seen that something was happening. And how does it tie into the sightings of her outside the home and wandering by the highway? This case made me consider just how frustrating it must be to be an investigator and not be able to solve a case especially with all of these very weird details. It would definitely keep me up at night, especially if my whole job was just to figure it out. Of course, the theory that Joan planned her own disappearance is the most interesting option among the bunch. I kind of want this one to be true, not just because of the fact that it would confirm that she was still alive, but because of just how crazy it would be. I think what sticks out to me the most about this really is the blood. And again, it's just because of that Gone Girl scene where she's collecting her own blood to use. I have to wonder if Joan really did stage everything, and then just sat back to watch while the world exploded around her story. Would she have been giddy or mad when it was revealed that some of her stories seemed to match the books that she was reading? Could they have been clues? If it was intentional, how intentional was it? How could she leave her baby alone, and what was she thinking while she covered her own home in blood? Obviously, this theory is a stretch, but... Things like this do happen, and most of those cases don't have nearly as much bizarre evidence to support the theory like this one does. I would never definitively say that Joan did stage her own death, or attack, or abduction. But if she did, I really want to know how far back this goes. Her trail of true crime books spans back to the summer before her disappearance. Is it really possible that she was planning everything for that long? Or is that where she got the idea? And what would make her do it? Why would she leave behind her husband and her family? And where would she go? Did she watch as the investigation faded into nothing? Until her home was relocated by the National Park Service? Until her story faded away only to get picked up by true crime shows like the books that she used to read? We may never know the truth, but I kind of hope that Joan was watching from the shadows while her story gained a life of its own. I'm sure by now you're wishing that you never asked me to do these longer episodes, but... If you have any thoughts on this new change, I would love to hear them. Otherwise, if you want to discuss true crime lovers becoming true crimes, your preferred way to stage a murder, or the dangers of giant pits, feel free to contact me on Twitter or Instagram using the tag at datpod. Thanks, guys. <laughs>